I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Roberta Gratz is the author of a new book on post-Katrina New Orleans on the 10th anniversary of the hurricane. It's titled, We're Still Here, You Bastards, How the People of New Orleans Rebuilt Their City. And Richard Florida calls it an absolute must read. Roberta also wrote The Battle for Gotham, New York and the Shadow of Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs. With Ms. Jacobs, she founded the Center for the Living City. Roberta splits her time between New York and New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans August 29th, 2005, and you showed up in October. What did you find? I found people who inspired me to such a degree that I knew they were going to recover. They were undaunted by the horrific conditions confronting them, and My interest from there on was to see if the city would recover in the way that I have seen so so many cities recover from bad times, and that was from basically the ground up, from the neighborhoods, from the people, from the citizens, as opposed from the top-down experts, government officials. So from that moment on, I wanted to follow the recovery as I did for the next 10 years almost and write the book that I have written expecting to see a recovery in much the way that I had hoped. New Orleanians label Katrina a man-made disaster, not a natural one. Why? Natural disaster is fighting words in New Orleans because what flooded the city and drowned the city, 80% of the city, was the failure in 53 places of the man-made Corps of Engineers built levees, not the hurricane. The waters were receding before the levees broke, which is why so many people were stranded in the city, because they, particularly the ones who were unable to leave, They thought the storm was over, and it was, and the waters were receding, the levees broke, and all hell broke loose. And from the standpoint of the people of New Orleans, the federal response to Katrina has also been a disaster. Do you agree? Oh, total disaster. And in total contrast to Hurricane Betsy in 1965, when President Johnson showed up a day after and said, what can I do, and ordered the Corps of Engineers to build stronger levees. Unfortunately, they didn't follow through, but it took the federal government days to even call the first meeting. Hurricane Katrina hit Monday morning. The the floodgates opened Monday morning. The hurricane hit over the weekend. Wednesday was the first time that anyone in the White House called a meeting about Katrina. And then from there on, everything they did was wrong. You moved to New Orleans in 2007, a couple of years after Katrina. And of course, you were covering it regularly before that time. As someone who now makes your second home there, has your perspective on the city changed? What changed was I went to cover a story and I fell in love with the city. 
the vibrancy, the people, the diversity, uh, the culture. It is um, an extraordinary, endless story. And I fell in love with it enough to say, I want a house here. So I bought a house in 07, and I decided it was a great place to escape the north in the winter. So I go down mid-December, and I stay through April, and I tell my New Orleans friends that I leave the heat and the hurricanes to them, and in my New York friends, I leave the snow to them, and I think I have the perfect balance. But the the thing about New Orleans is that it is filled with possibility and challenges in ways that the New York that I've written about for more than 40 years doesn't hold the same interest for me that New Orleans does. Mm. You you write about the changing power structure in New Orleans since Katrina, and you write about it as a conspiracy of sorts. From your perspective, what has changed about that power structure and why? I don't know that I actually call it a conspiracy, but clearly there is a determination on the part of a particular elite that's mostly white, but not totally, because there's a strong black middle class. Um, but it's a, it's an elite that um, has grabbed, or I shouldn't say grabbed, but it has retaken power. It sort of goes back and forth. Um, it's now a white mayor with a lot of the same players, but... Nevertheless, it's a power structure that is very heavy on the top, even though post-Katrina, the, the energy and the power uh, of action really decentralized to the localities. And that was one of the good things after Katrina. The action really was localized, and the public got very engaged, and their uh, their voices were heard in very important ways. That's beginning to change. It's beginning to revert to some of the old patterns where uh, the public voice is not as strong as it used to be. You have written about the contrast between Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs. With Jane Jacobs, you founded the Center for the Living City. So you've spent a lifetime looking at ground-up community organizing and community change. And Curious, Roberta, when that was working well in the face of disaster, in the face of um, inadequate federal help and changing power structures, if one wanted to continue that, if one believed in the power of ground-up community organizing, uh, what are the three or four things that you think can be done to encourage that and, and to some extent make that normal? Well, in each of my books, and certainly in the last one before the current one uh, in about Moses and Jacobs, there's always a loss and a win column. And that was true with Moses and Jacobs. It was true with my first book, Living City. And I wrote about the South Bronx and, the, and Savannah, Georgia, and it's certainly true in New Orleans. And at the conclusion of the book, I point out some of the backsliding and some of the the optimism that of going forward. There's never a loss, there's never a shortage of citizen energy, and there's never a shortage of the will to fight. The real issue is whether they will win or not. 
And as I say, there's always a win-lose column. But even the losses contain some element of winning, even if it is as much as bringing a community together that wasn't united before, even if it includes that new togetherness looks inward to their own community instead of just citywide, and even if it means that the next time they will be united enough to win. There's always uh, that energy is there. It, most often what it needs uh, most of all is at least one civic accidental leader, as, the, as, as I call it in the book. Um, the, my book is filled with the stories of accidental um, leaders. They didn't start out red, looking for a fight. Citizen activists never do. It just happens. Whatever the issue is that causes them to say this shouldn't happen and talking to their neighbors and organizing and and making City Hall listen, this is never something that is easily predictable. And it varies from uh, person to person and story to story. But I recently just went through my book for the first time, actually, from start to finish, And I was so pleased with the great stories of people. And I'm hoping, and I've I've had this hope with all my earlier books, that the people who read this who have nothing to do with New Orleans will be inspired by the stories that they hear to think that they can be an ancient agent of change in their community. All they have to do, all you need is one person who thinks that this should not happen and uh, it goes back a long way uh, learning that um, that's where change begins. You're someone, of course, who has also worked for many years in historic preservation. There, There's an interesting quote in your book from a colleague. When New Orleans lost out to Atlanta and Houston and other great cities of the South, it was assumed that is because New Orleans is old. Preservation was the easy whipping boy. Do you agree? Uh, that's Karen Gadbois of The Lens, and she's so brilliant. She's absolutely right. I, I agree that preservation is always the whipping boy. It's true in New York City. They're trying to blame the affordable housing crisis on preservation, when in fact preservation is often the best bet for preserving existing affordable housing. Preservation is an easy target, and I'm not exactly sure why, except that it's so visible. Um, it's, it's, it's not a policy. It's not a person. It's an idea. It's a movement that people understand physically. So it becomes a whipping boy when, in fact, um, as Karen also says in the book, she can't remember the last time that preservationists won out on one of those fights, whereas it's always the developers that, you know, can turn things around. So it is a whipping boy, and yet the reality is that if you look at any city in this country where there are good things happening, positive growth or less loss than the rest of the city, it is in historic neighborhoods. That's where people are moving, rebuilding, or staying. Those are the mainstays of our cities all across the country. I have, and I've 
visited and written about a lot of cities. And I have to say, when you want to find out where there is real grassroots resilience, you start looking in the historic neighborhoods and you'll find it. What is the most positive thing to come out of Katrina? Is it this grassroots organizing? Oh, I think definitely in the sense that before Katrina, there was not the kind of civic engagement. There was not the feeling among the citizenry that they could organize and get anywhere. And now, uh, and remember, after Katrina, they were exhausted, they were crushed, they were working 24 hours a day on their own homes, they were volunteering, rebuilding their schools, they were helping neighbors, and they were doing all these things, which is a daunting task, and yet they suddenly found the additional energy to organize together. The real issue is if they start losing too many fights, they may get discouraged, but there are there are new people, there are young, young people to to continue the fight. My hope is, and there's never a guarantee, because in New York I don't see the same kind of fighting energy in the among the millennials that I that I see among the 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 people of a certain age who were the fighters 20 years ago. Uh, the real question is whether that citizen activism will pass on to the next generation because it, the, New Orleans has more of it now than it certainly did before Katrina, and that is the good news. Berta, thanks so much for the book, and thanks for being our guest on Night Cities. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Roberta Gratz's new book is We're Still Here, You Bastards, How the People of New Orleans Rebuilt Their City. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Sign up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash podcast to get the five things you should know from this interview and our other interviews every week. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.